The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. So we are starting a new series today uh, called Vocatio. Uh, and Vocatio is, is Latin for, for calling. And that's where we get the word vocation from. And we'll, we'll get that unpacked in a little bit. But I'm very excited for this series because what we're going to be doing in this series is we're going to explore uh, how, how the resurrection of Jesus, what it is to follow Jesus, how that fits into the different spheres of our life. That, that we all sort of have these different roles, these different callings in our life, that you're, you're called to your job and you're called to your family and you're called to your studies and you're called as a leader. What does it mean for us to, to be, uh, you know, if you're a software engineer, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and a software engineer? Like, how does that, how does that work? How does that line up? And so we're going to be digging into that over the next uh, five weeks or so. And I think it's really important we do that. It's an important discipline for us as Christians to, to think through and figure out what does it mean for me to follow Jesus in every area of my life? Uh, because I think sometimes we miss that. And we, we miss what it is to follow him wherever he's placed us. And uh, there's a, a story that uh, philosopher Peter Rollins tells, one of my favorites, uh, uh, that demonstrates sort of the importance of us figuring out how to do this. And so the story goes like this. Uh, there's a man, and uh, he thought he was a seed, like the kind that, you know, birds eat, right? So, so he thought, thought he was a seed. So obviously he has, you know, some mental issues going on. And so, so he finds a psychologist and he starts going to this psychologist and, and goes through all the therapy. And, and after years and years of therapy with this psychologist, he finally comes to the conclusion. He's like, you know, I, I'm not a seed. I'm not a seed. And the psychologist is ecstatic. He's ecstatic. He goes home and, and the psychologist doesn't hear from him for like a month. He's doing great. But then one day the man calls in a panic. And he says, doctor, doctor, you've got to help me out. And the doctor says, well, well what's going on? He says, my, my neighbor next door has chickens, and I'm afraid they're going to eat me. And the doctor says, yeah, but, but remember, you're, you're not a seed. You know, you're, you're a man, remember that. And the guy says, yeah, I know that, but do they? But do they? Right? Now, what, what I like about this story is, is I think it illustrates how faith can work for us sometimes. You see, when this man was with his psychologist, he had no problem believing that he wasn't a seed, right? But when the, the rubber met the road and, and chickens became involved, uh, his sort of privatized faith uh, just didn't cut it anymore. And so, so the point here is that his faith was so privatized, it was so personalized that he didn't even see the connection between what he believed to be true about himself and the rest of his life. And I wonder if that happens with us too. That, that we believe in Jesus, but it only affects that. It only affects our faith in him. And, and the sort of implications it has on the rest of our lives, we're not really sure what that looks like. Right? Christianity is kind of our, our religious preference that we check off on, the, on whatever we want to sign up on. But, but what that means for the rest of our lives, we're not sure. But see, last week we celebrated Easter. And we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That 2,000 years ago, uh, in actual time and space, in history, Jesus actually rose from the dead. And that actually means something. It actually affects us now. The brilliant theologian N.T. Wright puts it like this. Precisely because the resurrection has happened as an event within our own world, its implications and effects are to be felt within our own world, here and now. And so in other words, the resurrection of Jesus affects more than just what we do on Sunday mornings. It affects all of our life. And so it's one thing for us to have Jesus as the center of your faith. It's another thing to have Jesus as the center of your life. And so for the next five weeks, 
we're going to be in this series where we say, all right, what does it look like for Jesus to be in the center of my life in these different areas? And so next week, we're going to look at how the resurrection of Jesus affects your work. Day to day, your career, what you go in, what you do, how does the resurrection of Jesus affect that? And the week after that, we'll look at what it is as, as a parent. And the week after that um, is as a leader, and we actually will have a, a special guest that day. I'm very excited for that. Uh, and after that, as a citizen, and then we'll close out the series looking at, at what it is to, to be a spouse in light of Easter. But this week, we're just looking at simply what it means to be called. Once again, that word vocatio means calling. So we get the word vocation, and, and vocation is this like Christian doctrine, and it's, it's probably my third or fourth favorite doctrine. You know, I don't know where it falls on your list, but that's, that's where it lands for me. Um, and, uh, and basically, the, the, the idea is that every person has a calling. That every single Christian, that God has you where you are for a reason, that you're called to be there for a reason. That's the, the doctrine of vocation, and that's what we're going to dig into. But the question I want us to ask today is, what does it mean to live into that calling well? What does it mean for us to live into that calling well? And so, in order to answer that question, we need to understand what exactly that calling is. And so that's what we'll be exploring today. And so here's going to be our our working definition of God's call. Ready? Okay. The call of God is the gracious, radical, and unique role that God has for you in his mission. The call is the gracious, radical, and unique role that God has for you in his mission. And so as we dig into our text for today, this is what we see, that the call of God is gracious, that it's radical, and that it's unique. Okay, so let's let's dig into it. First of all, the call of God is gracious. If you look with me at verses 15 to 17 in our text for today, it says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. All right, so here we have uh, Peter and Jesus. They're they're having breakfast uh, that Jesus cooked, which... God be incredible. Uh, and, and so this is, this is after the resurrection, and, and they're having this, this conversation, and this scene that, that we just read through is known as the reinstatement of Peter. And John's gospel is known as the reinstatement of Peter. And that's because earlier in the gospel of John, uh, Jesus is arrested, and he's, he's in trial, he's in the courts, and, and Peter follows him there, and he's standing outside the court, and people come up to Peter, and they say, hey, do you know that guy who's about to be crucified? Peter says, no, I, I don't know him. Another person comes up, hey, do you, do you know that guy? And Peter says, no, I, I don't know him at all. Third time, someone comes up and says, do you know that guy? And Peter says, no, I don't know that guy at all. Leave me alone. And so three times, Peter denies Jesus. Three times, Peter betrays Jesus. But we see in this exchange that Jesus asks Peter three times if he loves him. And Peter says after each time that he does. And then Jesus gives him a responsibility. Jesus gives him a calling. He says, feed my lambs. He says, tend my sheep. He says, feed my sheep. Now let's think about this for a second. Like Peter turned his back on Jesus at Jesus' absolute like, lowest point in his life, right? Couldn't, couldn't be a lower point, and that's when Peter decides to turn his back on him. And, and here's Jesus, risen from the dead, vindicated. He could totally go up and just be like, dude, 
come on, man. Like, what is your problem? Like, you turned your back on me, you just lay into him. You'd have every right to do that. As soon as it started to cost him something, Peter backed away. But instead, Jesus unmistakably restores him. And he gives him the calling to be the leader of the church, this movement that changes the world forever. And so what we see here is that the call of God is gracious. Because the call of God comes to Peter not because he's qualified. He's woefully underqualified to lead the church. Right? He's a loudmouth, he's an unlearned fisherman, and oh, by the way, he betrayed the son of the living God. And yet the call comes to him and says, you're going to lead the church. Now, that should be really encouraging for us. Because we're not qualified for the call. And God doesn't call us because we're qualified. You're qualified because the call came to you. It's the call of God and nothing else that calls you to live on his mission. That qualifies you to be a part of his mission. Because it's only the gracious call of God that makes you a Christian. It's it's God's call that made you a Christian, that gives you faith in Jesus. That's how it works. See, so so it works like this. Like, like I'm a pastor's kid, right? And uh, and I grew up going to Christian schools. I've been on, like, more mission trips than you can shake a stick at. Uh, I have a, a graduate degree in theology, all right? But if I haven't received the call of God... If I haven't had the Spirit of God convict me, point me to Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and then send me out on his mission, if that hasn't happened, then all I am is a really religious idolater. That's it. You see, and and it goes the other way too, that I know we got folks who are part of this church, and man, your past is just like this big, dark mess. And there's perhaps some really deep, dark, moral failings. But guess what? If you've received the gracious call of God, if you've come to faith in Jesus, then you're automatically qualified to be a part of God's mission, right? Your your moral standing and your theological knowledge and your experience in church make no difference on whether or not you're qualified to live into God's call in your life. Only the call of God qualifies you to be a part of his mission. So his call is gracious. His call qualifies you for his mission. What exactly is the nature of this call? Not only is it gracious, but it's also radical. And we see that in the next few verses. Look with me at verses 18 and 19. Jesus is speaking to Peter and he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So what we see here is essentially Jesus in in earlier verses says, hey, you're forgiven, you're restored, you've been given a new calling. And then right here we just read, and oh, by the way, that new calling is going to lead to your death. Okay, so so it's a bit of a downer at the end of it, right? But that's the nature of the call. It's, It's radical, it's extreme, it's unto death. That's the nature of the call. It's radical. Uh, This year, for whatever reason, I made it a point to, to read through the entire Lord of the Rings series, including The Hobbit. Um, and if you are an enormous nerd like me, uh, and, you've, and you've read The Hobbit, you kind of know that, that when you finish that book, it's just kind of just like this nice sense of peace. Like you just sort of like, oh, that, you know, that was good. Everything's kind of back the way it should be. That was a pleasant tale. It's very good. Uh, but for those of you that are, have taken your nerddom to the next level, and you've read the entire Lord of the Rings series, the, the, the three-book trilogy there, 
when you finish it, man, you're like exhausted. Like you just feel like you just took a beating. Like you're just beat up and bruised, but you have this like deep sense of peace after finishing. Like deep in your bones, you're like, man, I've been through something. Like this, something moved in me more than I expected. Like it's just incredible. So I was like reflecting on this and, uh, and fortunately I stumbled across a literary critic who was talking about why this is. I was like, hey, I'm not alone in this experience. And he was explaining why you feel different after The Hobbit and after The Lord of the Rings. So the reason you feel different after The Hobbit is because in literature, it's an adventure. It's an adventure, right? It's a there and back again. It's an exciting thing that you choose, right? You go, you have your adventure, you have your thrill, and then you come back and you pick your life up where you left it. But this literary critic went on, he says, now the Lord of the Rings, the trilogy, is not an adventure, it's a quest. It's a quest. And a quest is different from an adventure because it's, it's not something you choose, it chooses you. It comes to you. You sense a requirement. You're called to it because of what's involved. And when you go on a quest, you never come back. You either die on the quest, or when you come back, you're so changed by it that you don't really come back in the same way. See, following Jesus is not an adventure. It's a quest. It's a quest. And I'm using the term technically here, of course, right? In a more general sense, we could say following Jesus is an adventure. It happens to be a value of our church, so I better say that. Okay, but, 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 but using the strict literary definition, Christianity is not an adventure, it's a quest. It's a radical call that requires all of you, your whole life, to give up everything and follow Jesus. Everything. And in verse 19, we see Jesus is talking to Peter. And he says, not only is it, is it a radical call in which you give up everything, but, but Peter, it's a radical call for you. This is how you are going to glorify God in your death. You see, the call is personally radical, that you yourself have to trust Jesus. You yourself have to hear the call. See, it's not enough to say, well, you know, I was brought up in a Christian home. I was brought up in a, a Lutheran home or a Baptist home or a Catholic home. It's not enough to, to hang out with church people. It's not enough to, well, you know, Pastor Gabe's messages are inspiring and, and they're very exciting and, and very engaging. No, no, no. You yourself must respond to God's call in your life. It's personally radical to you. But it's also volitionally radical. The call is a matter of submitting your volition, your will to the will of God. It's volitionally radical. At the end of verse 19, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Follow me. He says, Peter, do what I do. Do what I've done. It's no longer about you and what your hopes and your dreams and all this stuff that you thought you were going to do. It's not about your comfort anymore, Peter. It's about you following me. It's about you submitting your will to me. And can I say it's really hard to submit your will to Jesus, especially in Texas, right? Like, come and take it, you know, like, don't tread on me. Remember the Alamo? Like, that, this just doesn't work for Texans, right? It's hard. And see, what we do is we all have this thing, and we may not say it out loud, but this is what's going on in our heads. Because we don't want to submit to anyone, we don't want to submit to Jesus. And we say this, we'd say, well, I'll follow Jesus, I'll follow him, but not if it's going to cost me something. I'll follow Jesus as long as it fits in with my schedule. I'll follow Jesus as long as I can view sexuality however I want as long as I can continue to view money however I want, as long as it doesn't affect my politics, as long as it doesn't affect my relationships, as long as it doesn't affect anything in my life that would make me slightly uncomfortable, I'll follow Jesus. That's what I'll do. That's what we do. 
I remember one day, uh, a little over a year ago, uh, Jesse Gumto and I were, were sitting down with uh, the guy we do marketing with named Chad. And uh, we're talking with Chad, and, and he was going over prices with us uh, for sending out direct mail flyers to kind of the neighborhoods around here just to get our name out there. And uh, we just couldn't afford to, to do the big enough reach that we wanted to do uh, with the amount of money that, that we had. And so Chad, Chad said to us, he's like, well, you know, if you can't afford the direct mail flyers, that's fine, man. Why don't you just do these door hangers? They're like a third of the price, and you can get as big of a reach as you want. And uh, you can ask Jesse, like, as soon as he said that, like, I got this just, like, not in my stomach. And I spent the rest of that meeting with Chad, like, trying to convince us to do anything else but these door hangers. And why is that? Because I've done it before, and I hate it. Like, it's awful. It's so awkward. Like, I feel like a door-to-door salesman, and, I, like, I'm sweating thinking about it. Like, it's just, it's, and I don't even talk to people. I just hang them up and walk to the next one. But it's just awful. Uh, but after that meeting, it was just like, it was the best move for us to do as a church. And, and so we ordered 2,500 door hangers and we're like, we're gonna put these bad boys out. And I remember thinking after we got them, I was like, all right, well, maybe I can just have the launch team do it. You know, like, like my, my role is really just equipping, you know, I, I don't really have to do this stuff. I just, I just equip people to do it. Uh, and then this stupid voice in my head, uh, reminded me of one of my, my deepest convictions in ministry, uh, which is you can't ask people to do what you're not willing to do yourself. Right? You can't ask people to do what you're not doing. You can't ask people to live a life that you're not living. And so that hit me, and I was like, oh, dang it. So, uh, so that next Saturday, I, I got my, my door hangers, and, and I went out, and I was just like praying the whole time. And I'm just like, God, get me through this. And, and I'm thinking of like, all right, you know, St. Paul was shipwrecked like four times, and he was stoned like three times. He got bit by a snake for the sake of the gospel. I'm like, I can give up two hours on a Saturday to market our church. You know, I'm like, come on, come on, you can do this. And so get through it. And, and to be fair, uh, I did get cussed at by one guy. Uh, that's another story. But two guys prayed with me, so it's kind of, you know, evens itself out. Um, but, but I tell you that story to point out, like, I wanted to stay in the driver's seat. Like, I'll follow Jesus anywhere. And I talk to people about Jesus all the time, but it's got to be on my terms. And if it's not, then I don't like it. And I'm uncomfortable and I don't want to go there. And see, this is true of all of us. Is that we, 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 we don't want to submit to Jesus. We want to stay in the driver's seat. But the call of God is radical. And it says, move over and trust me. It says, move over and trust me, the call is radical, the call is gracious, and finally, the call is unique. Look with me at verses 20 through 22 in our text. It says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, I love this part of the text because it's just so true of life, right? Like Jesus lays out for Peter what his call is. He says, Peter, you're going to lead the church. You're going to die for that. And Peter's like, okay, yeah, I get it, I get it. Hey, but what about that guy over there? I mean, I guess this is my call, but what about that guy's call? What, what's he going to be doing? Right? And, and isn't that how we are? Like, God, listen, I know you've made me this way and you've given me these gifts and these talents and you've surrounded me with these people, but why couldn't you have me do that? Why couldn't I be like that guy over there, that gal over there? Why couldn't I do that instead? Couldn't I have that job or that family or those resources or that personality? God, why didn't you give me that call? And I love Jesus' response to Peter and to us. 
He says, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, don't worry about him. Don't worry about her. Don't worry about them over there. You follow me. He says, you follow me. My call for you is for you. And I think sometimes, man, we get like so hung up on what exactly that call is. Like, if you've seen the movie Simon Birch, has anyone seen that? The weird little kid? Yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, and uh, and uh, he's this weird little kid, and in the whole movie, he talks about how he has like this divine purpose. It's like, I'm here for a reason. And at the end of the movie, what happens is uh, this school bus full of kids goes into this river, and he's able to dive in because he's small and can breathe really well or hold his breath underwater really well, and he's able to, to save all these kids. And he ends up dying from that. And so, of course, at the end of the movie, that's like, that's why he existed. That's why he was here. That was his divine purpose, was this one moment in time to save all these kids. So I don't think it really works like that. Uh, it's a great movie, but I don't think it works like that. I think it works more like this, that, that when the ancient Greeks would talk about your calling, they talk about it as, as your magnum opus, your magnum opus, your body of work. In other words, the understanding was that your calling is the entirety of your life. It's the entirety of your life. And so I think about it like this, like no one is going to have a bigger impact on your kids than you. No one is going to love your spouse more than you. No one is going to do the, the hard work and the creative work and, and the leadership and the, and the servant heart at their career and in their job than you in your career and in your job. No one is going to have the opportunity to reach these specific people with the gospel than the ones that God has placed in your life. No one's going to be able to care for the needs of others that God has placed in your life than you. No one has that same passion for this thing in this way like you do. See, Jesus is saying, I have a unique call for you. Be faithful to where I've called you. So the call is gracious, it's radical, and it's unique. And I realize, as we close here, that uh, this message maybe sounds a lot like do, 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 do. Okay? So let me remind you of something. We just celebrated Easter, right? So that means it's done, right? Like he is risen, like Jesus heard the call of God and he answered it perfectly. He heard the call and he went to the cross and he paid the price for all your sins and he rose to new life and he conquered sin and death and the devil and his victory is now your victory. No matter what you do or don't do, his victory is now your victory. But we have the hope of one day fully realizing that victory with him. Of one day spending that eternity with him, the one who conquered sin and death forever. And see, that makes all the difference as we think about responding to the call of God in our lives. See, because instead of responding to the call of God in our lives out of, out of duty and guilt and obligation and fear, we actually get to do it out of joy. We actually get to look at it as an incredible opportunity to live into the story of God's redemption. I think about it like this. Uh, I went on a run uh, this past Friday afternoon which I believe was the hottest time of day on the hottest day of this last week. Uh, so it was not the brightest move on my part. But can I say, so I'm from up north, you guys know this. And up north, when it's like 5 o'clock, that's when it starts to cool down. But here, it's like, it cranks up, man. It's awful. Um, so anyways, so, but this is what I did. So I go for the run. And the reason I did that is, is my, my soccer team uh, has actually, we've picked up a, a few other guys, and they're like actually good. And so for... <laughs> for 
for me to justify my playing time on the Leanderthals, I was like, I got to be, you know, I got to be fit. And so, so that's why I went out to run to, to earn my playing time. And so, so I'm doing that and I'm running, but the heat just was weighing me down. I was like, you know, maybe I'll just walk for a little bit. But then I was like, no, 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 because Melissa and Titus are coming home from, from work and you got to spend time with them and you're sending communities, having a party tonight and you can't be late for that. So Gabe, like you owe it to these people to finish this run fast. Like Gabe, you got to go as quick as you can so you can spend time with the people that God has placed in your life. Just be glad you're not in my head, right? And so, so this is like going on and I'm going and the heat's, you know, beating me down and my legs and my lungs are starting to give up. I'm like, I don't, I mean, I love them. I'll just feel guilty about it. Let's just, whatever, I'm going to give up. And right... <laughs> Right as I'm about to give up, there's like this, this herd of teenage girls, I think that's what you call it, and, um, and they, they're, they're, they're walking by, and, and, and I'm running, and one of them just goes, way to go, and I was like, gave the fist pump, and, and, then, and then they all started cheering, and they're like, keep going, keep going, and I was like, and it was like because of that, it flipped this switch in my head, and, and I was like, you know what, this is it, man, all I got to do is get through the rest of this run, and it's nothing but good things tonight. You know, then I get, to, I get to hang out with Titus. I get to see my boy, and I get to see my wife. Oh, and then we're going to go to the Carries and hang out. Oh, and I bet they're going to have beer there. Oh, that'll be so great. You know, I'm like, come on, you can make it. Just get through these last few uh, yards. And so, so I'm running, and I do that. And then I was like, oh, and then I can write down this awesome sermon illustration I came up with. So I was just all excited, right? Now, all these things were coming my way no matter how long it took me to finish the race. I was going to be able to hang out with my boy. I was going to be able to hang out with my wife. I was going to be able to drink beer with Grant. All these things were going to happen. But as opposed to running in obligation and guilt and duty, I got to finish my run with joy and excitement and anticipation because I already knew what was waiting for me. You see, forgiveness and new life and the hope of eternity are already yours in Jesus. God's already given that to you in your call. God's already given that to you. It's already yours through Jesus' work on your behalf. But it's up to you on how you want to run in light of God's gracious, radical, and unique call in your life. And so my prayer is that we would be a church that run in our calls with the joy and the excitement that are ours in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have called us to know you. That you've called us to have faith in you. That you've called us to be your people, to live on your mission. God, I thank you for all the unique gifts and talents and personalities and hearts that you've given to the people who are here. God, use each one of us how you've designed us to be used. We love you and we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Max Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axchurchleander.com.